Hello and welcome to another episode of our weekly political show. My name is Bojan Stanislavski and this program is produced by the editorial team at The Barricade, a pan-Eastern European media outlet ran by journalists, activists and academics from across our region. The Barricade is uh, the project's, so to say, English language face. Uh, where we publish our analysis and commentary on the situation in our region for uh, for the international audience. We also run a very successful Bulgarian platform called Barikada, as well as its, so to say, younger sister, Barikada Romania, which publishes in Romanian. Now, before we begin today's show, I'd like to uh, sort out a few household matters with you, uh, our dear viewers and listeners. Uh, given the current wave of rampant censorship across all of the most popular platforms we've had to take steps to secure our internet presence so for your information our podcasts are available not only on youtube but also on rumble and we're thinking about setting up channels on rockfin and odyssey we're going to let you know about that if and when it happens Except for that, we have a Substack account, and on our page, you can find all of our publications, including podcasts, uh, including the podcasts, which will soon be available uh, there as video files, independent of YouTube or any other platforms. You can listen to our audio uh, on Spotify and on SoundCloud. All of those channels' links can be found in the description box below the video. Thank you very much, and please don't forget to click the uh, the like and the subscribe buttons, as well as any other uh, buttons that can help increase the presence, uh, our presence on all those platforms. And last but not least, if you find our programs interesting, and if you find our and our guests' perspectives and comments insightful, and perhaps intellectually or uh, or politically refreshing, please consider supporting our work through our Patreon page, patreon.com slash the barricade, where you can make a monthly subscription to support our work to the extent that you feel you can afford. Uh, Substack uh, now allows you to purchase a paid subscription as well. Thank you again, and don't go anywhere because On the Barricades starts right away. Okay, welcome back to uh, another edition of On the Barricades, and please allow me to introduce you to uh, the program's co-host first, Maria Cernat. Uh, hello, Maria. Hi. And we've got a special guest for you, Pat Byrne, uh, uh, who's a friend of the show. Pat is a longtime socialist left uh, activist in, uh, in the Great Britain and in other European countries. He has lived in the United Kingdom and Turkey and uh, is now residing in Brazil. Uh, he's the author of numerous articles on the history of the European left, as well as the author of, uh, of an upcoming book on China. Uh, finally, he's uh, also the leading figure of our podcast series, Divided We Fall, in which we analyze the mistakes uh, of the left today, as well as in the, path, uh, in the past. Welcome to the program, Pat. Thanks, Boya. Thanks, Maria. Good to see you guys. Right. Good to see you, too. Uh, today's program uh, will, of course, be dedicated to the war in Ukraine, as have, uh, well, nearly all of our programs over the last three weeks. Uh, and this time, we will concentrate on the media war, on the info war, or to put it uh, a little more bluntly, perhaps propaganda. 
Uh, we'll look at how Russia and Ukraine have waged their propaganda war, as well as how the international media has responded to it, or, uh, or maybe I should say, uh, to what extent, or how is it complicit in it. But anyway, we'll sort out, uh, sort this out during uh, our discussion today. So, uh, Maria, you are a media theoretician. Uh, you're an academic. Uh, you're very knowledgeable about that subject. It has been uh, it. This matter has been the subject of your research for many years. So uh, let me go to you first with this question, and, and perhaps you could give our viewers a, like a better sense of why we are discussing actually that. So why do you think, in general, it is important to to discuss and to perhaps even reveal how the media is handling the war? Well, it all started a long time ago. It started in 1917 when the Committee for Public Information was set up by President Woodrow Wilson to convince the American people to go to war and fight alongside Great Britain and France at that point. Let us not forget that at that point, President Woodrow Wilson came to power with a pacifist agenda, promising the American people that they will not go to war. And all of a sudden, he found himself in the position of trying to convince people and to sell them the war. That was the birth of war propaganda as we know it today. Why? Because for the first time in human history, the greatest military power was at the same time a democracy and people had to be convinced. People had to be convinced both inside and outside. And as PR specialists say, it is important to convince both the internal public, that is in the case of the war, your citizens, as well as the citizens of other countries. Now, this is part of a very interesting effort that started in 1917. On the 4th of August, for instance, nobody pays attention to that, but the British cut off the transatlantic uh, trans cables that allow um, other states to communicate with the United States because they wanted to control the narrative. And it was for the first time when journalists under the management of George Creel and the PR specialists, future PR specialists, because the profession was invented after this uh, operation, this war propaganda operation, people like Edward Bernays worked alongside with George Creel to sell the war to the American public and to sell the image of the United States abroad. And they succeeded. They were very successful. Edward Bernays were, was asked to accompany President Woodrow Wilson to the peace conference in Paris in 1919. And he was shocked to see that President Wilson was acclaimed as a war hero. And this is when he said, well, if you can use propaganda for war, you can certainly use it for peace. And these are exactly his words, the founding father of the PR profession. And he said that he didn't want to use propaganda because it was used by the Germans and it had a negative uh, meaning attached to it. So he uh, settled for PR. And it is so interesting to see that it was that long ago when they decided to use this term 
um, this idea that America is going to war to protect the people and not to restore the old power of empires, that America is going to war for the people and to promote democracy, to make the world a safer democracy, as Edward Bernays said, that was the big slogan. So the idea that the United States worked to make the world a safer democracy was actually a term coined by somebody with the precise intention of promoting the image of this country abroad as some sort of savior. Now, why is interesting to focus on this uh, episode is uh, the, the following. You had this played over and over again in the past century. Uh, when you think of the US intervention, for instance, in Guatemala, okay, well, 30 years uh, later, uh, you had uh, again Bernays convincing the American public that the CIA trained uh, mercenaries were going there to top down the elected, democratically elected uh, leader, Jacob Arbenz, from power. But the American people was convinced that this was a communist leader, a dictator, and the person that was terrorizing the poor people of Guatemala. Well, in fact, they were protecting the um, interests of United Fruits. So these are things that are unfortunately ignored in the public arena. And it is so important and vital to discuss this because since we live in a democracy, since the voice of the people started to matter, unfortunately, the elites were not so prone to say, uh, oh, so now the voice of the people matter. Let us inform them. Let us be honest. No, they devised formidable tools of propaganda, of manipulation. And this is why it is important to, to acknowledge this. As Goebbels said, no, the propaganda ministry of Hitler. It is very good to win people with the force of arms, but it is better to win their minds and souls. Okay, and okay. Uh, right, right. So uh, thank you for this uh, retrospect. Uh, I think it was, uh, it was very interesting. And uh, I, I understand that the answer to the question uh, is basically that we, uh, we should be discussing that mostly because it's not for the first time that such things occur, which means, you know, media war, propaganda war, info war, whatever you want to call it. And uh, Pat, let me go to you now. So uh, what, is, what is your take on that? Like in, in, in the context of this war and in the context of the past wars, like why do you agree with Maria that those matters are not being discussed enough and, and that, uh, you know, many people focus on how the military campaigns are going, but uh, relatively little people discuss about the, uh, the, well, the propaganda war, let's put it that way. And, uh, you know, particularly in this conflict, I guess we're going to get to that at some point, uh, we can pretty safely say that, you know, in terms of, of the media landscape, in terms of the media arena, the Russians are losing hands down. So, did you want me to come in now, Boya? Yes, please. Okay. Um, well, I, I, I think the reason we, we need to discuss um, the way that this war and wars generally are reported is because it has tremendous consequences on what people do 
in reaction to a war. And for one thing, of course, it, it affects whether or not people support the war in the first place. And that, <clears throat> that makes a, a huge difference as to whether, whether the war is going to continue, how it's going to continue. Um, it also uh, influences whether people are their own personal actions in the war, whether they're willing to fight, whether they're willing to, whether they think they need to become a refugee, as we're seeing right now. Um, uh, it, it affects, for example, in this current war, um, should we support these extreme sanctions which have um, been imposed in Russia and are obviously hitting a lot of ordinary Russian people? Mm -hmm. Should we support sending of more weapons? Um, and in this particular war, obviously, um, the way the media is portraying things affects um, the way people view Russians as individuals. And we're seeing a, a hell of a lot of racism, aren't we, against individual um, race, uh, against Russians. And, and Russia as a country is actually being cancelled. I mean, I think it's one of the first times we've seen a, a country cancelled. And every, yeah. every Russian... The whole nation, seeing, a culture. Yeah. Yeah. We're, yeah, we're seeing, you know, we're seeing... Dance no one thought that the council culture is going to go that far quite <laughs> that quickly, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah please go ahead. I, I just uh, sort of threw That's that it. in. That's it. Go ahead. Ah, all right. Uh, okay. Well, uh, I, I just uh, I, I would like to uh, to invite you to uh, to to speculate a little bit on why is it so important to uh, to discuss this um, the, the question of the of the info war from the point of view of this particular uh, of this particular war. I mean, uh, what I'm trying to say is that now, uh, you know, people are uh, accustomed to uh, perhaps some information coming from Syria, from the Middle East, from Libya, from Palestine, Israel-Palestine, from Afghanistan. And, you know, this is something pretty far away. And, uh, you know, it, it sort of provokes different reactions and now the situation is uh is different and also in terms of you know refugees and uh the, you know all the consequences of the war uh you know i i'm here in poland i can see those refugees uh you know coming basically flooding into poland every day the same is the case for uh same is the case for romania for bulgaria for moldova for slovakia uh and uh you know it, in in those wars that i mentioned that is you know in the middle east for example or afghanistan the stance towards the refugees was completely different than it is now which also says a lot about how you know the media can program our approach to this uh to this matter and to this war and also of course to the actors that is on the one hand we have the russians who are being demonized and and so on and so forth and on the other hand we have you know the ukrainians uh in the mainstream media, you know, in the mainstream corporate, you know, Western media, so, uh, they, they appear to be, you know, only war heroes and everything is great and no one acknowledges, for example, the far-right problem. I'm not going to name the N-word because apparently this uh, <clears throat> this provokes some reactions on the part of the YouTube algorithm. But anyway, you know what I mean. So I want you to to perhaps, you know, focus a little bit on this, on, on how... how uh, uh, how important it is from the point of view of this particular war and, and how, uh, how do you see playing, playing out? Uh, Maria, you go first. Okay, I promise not to take too much time and to focus uh, more. Um, well, um, you saw how important uh, it is um, because media, media, you know, doesn't tell you what to think but they tell you what to think of or, or 
they set up the agenda. They tell you what the main themes are. And usually people think that um, propaganda means lying. Lying is the most basic, brutal and stupid form of propaganda and manipulation. Real propaganda is the one that you don't realize occurs, the one that you believe, the one that you like. Okay, and it was done to manipulate you and to convince you. So it is clever. And this is why the second level where manipulation starts, as the seminal article of um, uh, Newcomb and McCombs showed from 1972 already, is that media basically frames reality. I mean, from Iraq, I read a report because I conducted the research last year uh, on how the US media reported on Afghanistan. And there is actually a site that does a content analysis that proved that only three minutes, three minutes by all mainstream US media channels were devoted to the war in Afghanistan prior to the US uh, retiring their troops from there and uh, leaving the country. Okay, so now compare that, so three minutes about the war in Afghanistan to what we're seeing now from the war in Ukraine. Uh, now, there are two levels. There are false news on Ukraine that are being debunked all the time. But the fact that we are focusing so much on the refugees and the pain of the people and so on and so forth with comparing that with what was going on in reporting about Afghanistan tells you a lot. It is the media framing how much time, energy, resources, and how they frame the story. This is where the propaganda occurs. So it is very clever, you know? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so Pat, do you, do, do, do you, uh, do you, feel the same, like in a sense that, uh, you know, there's a clear difference between, uh, for example, you know, the, the, our reactions to the refugees, to the pain of the people, to the suffering of those who are, you know, subjected to this military campaign uh, and who are victims of that horrible war. Uh, you know, do you feel the same? Th that is, you know, the, the media have programmed us obviously differently. Uh, I mean, when I say us, I don't necessarily mean you and me and Maria, but just like the, the public opinion have, have they, they have, they have developed, they have pr provoked different reactions uh, this time around. Well, I mean, I, I don't have any objection at all to the, the coverage of the refugees. I think, um, you know, um, wars are brutal and this is uh, equally brutal. Um, and the suffering of people from wars is, is what we should be most concerned about. So I, I've got no problem about this, um, the coverage of that. The, the only thing is obviously that the coverage is, is unique. Uh, I, we've never had this kind of coverage of refugees um, in such a in such a way, and the reason obviously is because <clears throat> this war um, and this battle, the, the battles and the and all the fallout from it, um, are part of a political agenda that the the West agrees with, um, and that's why they're favouring. They find it politically advantageous. What I worry about is that once this war is finished, that they'll drop these refugees. They've made all these promises to them. And I, I suspect that they, they will drop them. But I, I hope, I mean, what we should insist on is that the way they're treating the Ukrainian refugees, which is good, should become the gold standard for how we treat all refugees in the future from war. 
because if you look at the way that the refugees were treated from Syria, so many examples, it's been terrible. Um, and and I so that's what I feel about that. On the broader question of, um, you know, uh, the use of propaganda during war, obviously there's there's a lot of similarities in this war to the past. Um, as we know, uh, the famous phrase that the first casualty of war is the truth. Uh, another phrase was that war, when war comes in the front door, truth goes out the window. And, and that's exactly what's happening in this war. Um, generally speaking, when there's a war on, the, the ruling class of, the, of a particular country, they mobilize all their institutions and media to um, drive the population along the path of being in favor of one side or the other. And this usually creates, it's very effective, it creates um, a massive support among, for the war among the mass people. Um, and, and sometimes it can become a war hysteria. I mean, we're mm. almost in that situation in some, some countries. <clears throat> but in time, this usually dissipates as people begin to start more deeply, they begin to think more deeply about the causes the aims and the conduct of the war. And they, and they start to compare the high-minded rhetoric of the, the elite who are pushing the war with the reality of their practice. So, for example, um, I suspect that once this war finishes, or even before that, we will start to see a lot of people comparing the, the economic pain that they're suffering from these extreme sanctions against Russia, you know, all the bills that are going up in in uh, different countries, you know, the electricity, water, food, you name it. Um, they will start to compare the pain that they're suffering with what I sh I'm sure will be uh, a lot of profits being made by the big um, arms manufacturers and probably we'll see growth in inequality. The billionaires will probably do very well out of this situation. And that, that kind of thing, people will also have more time to think about why did this war start? Um, what were the reasons behind it? Uh, and look into those things and, and learn about them more deeply. So in that sense, I think that... Now, one thing I would say that's different about, I would say, about this war than the past is that we are now in a, in a new era of fake news and super public relations, you know, what uh, Maria was talking about earlier on. And this has actually led to a greater separation of... Facts from propaganda. We, we're seeing some ridiculous statements being made and claims being made, which are just so far away from the truth. Um, yeah, yeah. And much worse than in any other war we've probably seen before. Right, right. I think that uh, this is not the only distinction. Uh, by the way, uh, since uh, you know you started uh, discussing the like the way how this war's propaganda sort of replicates uh, features from previous wars, uh, I want to I want to uh, ask in this you know within the, in this historical context, uh, so to say, have we? Uh, is it always the same way? Like for example, the question of censorship, which I find very important in this. Uh, you know, in this war or uh, in this period, uh, because uh, as we all know, the uh, Russian uh, Russian state media have been basically erased from the internet, like in in Eastern Europe. Oh, sorry, in uh, in the West, like okay, in uh, in in the United States, in Canada, in Western Europe, in Eastern Europe as well, like across the global north, so to say. Uh, and you know, some of the uh, tech giants have completely and totally uh, removed the content provided by those TV stations or whatever, 
news bureaus uh, that uh, that were very popular, okay, before. Uh, for a long time. So I, I wonder, is this something unique or is this something that, you know, for example, UPAD expected? Like, well, obviously that had to happen at some point. I don't know if Maria wanted to comment on that, maybe. Yes, I, I just wanted to say that um, this is a result of a growing tendency, especially in the United States, but also in, in Great Britain. Why? Because a lot of army generals and security experts in USA claim that the Vietnam War was actually lost on the streets of Washington, meaning that the internal support for the war was lost due to uh, journalists actually reporting and doing independent work and they they struggled the military elites struggled to make it impossible for journalists to go into these areas and report uh, it was one kind of pressure one element pressuring the journalists not to to become um, um war reporters and not to write independently uh, they can go but they can go with the army and the army provides security and then how can you criticize the army and what they're doing you know because this is also a problem in romania and other parts of the world but coming back to what, what i was saying keep in mind this idea that the military elites were very very upset with journalists reporting and making them lose the war on the streets of Washington with citizens protesting against the war. Now, the second element that made it even more difficult for journalists to do their job is, of course, the economic uh, element here. Nick Davis wrote a wonderful book. He's an um, uh, ex-Guardian uh, uh, columnist that wrote a book for Flat Earth News. Where in 2011 already, he discovered that most of the Flea Street press, that is the mainstream press in Great Britain, functioned as a churning machine. And as little as 12% of all news circulated in this mainstream media outlets was original. The rest was churning and just sharing information from the PR departments. Now, the, the third element, and I promise I'll be short, is that the um, relation, the power relation between the PR officer and the journalist changed the power balance. The journalists who used to be very suspicious of public relation people because they were there to support the interests of the organization that paid their salaries, of course. But due to this economic pressure, journalists just started to ask PR departments to basically do their jobs, write a nice text, they would take it, put their names, the journalists, I mean, they would take the PR text, put their names on it, and just run it as it is, with no backup check, with no background check, with nothing. So these were the elements that uh, uh, provide, and of course, social media that is itself a churning machine, a sharing machine, not a journalistic um, uh, organization. Or also probably a machine to spin standard. spin emotions around certain you know exactly, things that they exactly. that, that, and to yeah focus that they on shuffle entertainment and emotional engagement, not information. Yeah, yeah. So this would exactly. be the fourth. Element. Yeah. So I, right, Pat. So is this war? I, I don't know. This war seems to be full of flat Earth news, so to say. So uh, yeah. do you think that there's any uh, major? Uh, 
how to say this, qualitative, because quantitatively, obviously, there is a difference, a qualitative difference in terms of, uh, you know, the, the, the propaganda efforts uh, on, on both sides. Like, as I said, in the, as I indicated in the beginning of the program, my perception is that, you know, the Russians, they either don't pay attention or they have no idea how to conduct info war and they're losing, like, totally, terribly, drastically everywhere. Uh, but uh, in terms of, in terms of, uh, propaganda in terms of uh, information and media sphere but uh, do you see that there's any any major difference now that you can you know you can point out well just quickly on on, the, on that question of uh, censorship that you raised mm. in the previous question um, uh, let's remember that during the the second world war in Britain and I guess it was probably the same everywhere else actually um, you, you weren't allowed to uh, put any pro-German or, or even neutral um, information out. You, you, were, you were governed by a censorship board. So the West, when it comes to the when it comes to vital conflicts, the, the all nations impose an element of censorship during war. It's not saying it's a good thing, um, not at all. Quite the opposite. And and on the Western side, as we've seen, they banned RT and they banned Sputnik. I mean, RT had something like four and a half million uh, subscribers on YouTube to see the size of the, the audience that they've cut out. And they, um, on top of that, they, if you actually look at the mainstream media, no one would dare to be on a mainstream media channel and say something favorable to the Russians. They would lose their job. So effectively, every mainstream media channel is uh, singing to the same tune. So the censorship can be applied in many, many different ways. And, and one of the points that... Um, that uh, Maria made there about the, um, the power of public relations. Um, we can see that in how, um, <clears throat> how the, the public relations companies uh, around the world have all thrown in their lot with Ukraine and offered their services for free. Even, even whole teams in public relations companies have, are now devoting their time full time for free for the Ukrainian war effort. And so all sorts of, as a result, um, it's a very one-sided uh, PR campaign. Now, I, I don't know if it's okay. Would it be all right for me to say, I'd like to start off with saying some criticisms of the Russian side first before I get sure. on to Ukraine. Is that okay? Because I think that the Russians, I mean, uh, I don't think it's anything new, but um, it's, it's become so obvious during this war that they they have got no clue about public relations and propaganda. No, no. And uh, it's, it's extremely poor. I'm not talking about just a biased thing, but even the provision of video files, uh, information. There's just a lack of uh, material coming out from the Russian side. So it makes it very difficult for people who want to give an objective, balanced um, <clears throat> presentation to do so. Um, now, of course, they've also used propaganda to exaggerate certain aspects in, during this war. For example, um, <clears throat> you know, when Putin, do you remember when Putin described the Ukrainian government as a, as a, a bunch of fascists and drug addicts, right? Now, he, he didn't, you know, by doing so, he gave a gift of propaganda to the other side because instead of, instead of being more accurate and saying that the, <clears throat> the Ukrainian government were motivated by right-wing nationalism and that they were tolerating the operation of fascists and, uh, at the grassroots level, if they'd have said that, nobody could have disagreed with that, and that's reality. I mean, the part about drug addicts... Um, well, okay, it's been said that um, Zelensky is a cocaine addict, but so what? I mean, Churchill, Winston Churchill, was an alcoholic and a heavy user of amphetamines during the war. So I don't think that was a bit a point worth making by Putin. 
Then there was the question of his... Uh, I looked at the performance of the, the Russian ambassador to the United Nations. Uh, um, I mean, first of all, he looks like... Um, he looks like that character, the, the 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 bad guy in one of those early James Bond movies, and 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 he was the all of the people who spoke, um, uh, all spoke in English because we're speaking to a world audience. But he insisted on speaking in Russian. What was he thinking? I mean, he's got he, he and the Russian government have got every day to talk to their own people, and here they had a chance where lots of people were watching. In the, in, in the Security Council debate and then the General Assembly debate to address their point of view to the mass of people. So, so not only did he speak in Russian, which people don't understand, but the translation didn't start for five minutes. And even when it did come in, you were hearing the Russian voice in one ear and the, the English-speaking translation in the other ear. So you could hardly make out what the guy was saying. I mean, that's just a classic example of, 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 a, of a ridiculous approach to, um, to public relations. A couple more things. You know, Putin's speeches during this thing have tended to be far too long and self-indulgent. I mean, for example, the one he did the night before, or a couple of days before, the big speech he made, why did he waste all that time going into historical matters uh, on other aspects that had no direct bearing on the war? And, and the worst were the ones where he said about Ukraine was not really being justified as a separate country. Could you imagine a worse thing to say before your troops were going into the country, going into Ukraine? If, if you couldn't imagine a thing that could unite more Ukrainians than to say their country didn't deserve to exist. I mean, it was stupid. I mean, it may, and, and the stupid thing about it was Putin doesn't have any aim to annex Ukraine and bring it into the, so it, into the Russia. It's not part of his aim. Um, and he said that in previous speeches. So why he raised it like that, I have no understand. I have no idea. Last but not least, um, the has <clears throat> been the way that the... The, the, the Russians have not explained properly their political or military strategy. So as a result, all kinds of um, misunderstandings and fears of people have been stoked up. And they've ended up assuming the worst, um, which, is, which is, I could go into more detail about, but you know what I'm talking about, you know, that <clears throat> the idea that the Russians wanted to destroy and storm the cities, which they didn't want to do. Um, the fact that they wanted to actually take over the whole country and bring it into Russia, you know, um, or that they wanted to do assassinate and capture Zelensky's government, which is not their intention. But these are the things that people assume because they never said anything about it. They didn't explain themselves. So I'm afraid the Russians' public relations is absolutely disastrous. Absolutely, and, and they don't—they don't even seem to care. Actually, this is this is this my is observation not the here. Law, the law I, and and, and uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll uh, please go ahead, Maria. Yeah. I'll make well, I think they don't care because they never had to. They never yeah. had to win elections, right? They right. never had to compete for power. Now think yeah. what happened in the United States. They are into, into an ongoing electoral campaign. They are competing for yeah. uh, 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 in politics all the time. So this is why they are so skilled at it. This is why, of course, it has huge disadvantages because the parties are transforming PR firms and big money and all the rest. But they perfected and they developed the most formidable tools of propaganda and manipulation because they were forced to do so because they had to win elections. Right, right. Well, that's... Uh... Also... Uh, Boyan, do you think there's an element also of arrogance there? 
that they they feel I, we're going I, in, I, we're going into Ukraine, we're going to win, we've got superior forces. I think there can be an element. Explain ourselves. Yeah, well, we, I think that there's an element of arrogance, but maybe there's an element of like the world should understand. So this is arrogance, but like maybe not straightforward arrogance, but a kind of arrogance in terms of perception. Like the world should understand and we also have our rights. We also have our spheres of influence. We also should yeah. deserve to, okay. to, to, to have a buffer zone. We also deserve all those things. And, you know, my, my view of the whole thing is that the Russians, you know, they... They are also very old school in all of it. Like when I watch these press conferences, for example, of the spokesman of the Ministry of uh, Defense, you know, he's like, uh, you know, you could put him in, into some 60s, uh, into some movie from the 60s and he would be the same. All right. So like, yeah. obviously, they didn't learn that. And I, I suppose Marie is right. They didn't have to. Like, you know, they, they never yeah, really had right, yeah. any functional, you know, liberal, democra liberal democratic order. They do have some, some elements of it now. And of course, I, I can say that judging by the Russian uh, media, that things that I read there, I can see that uh, the Russian administration invests a lot of effort and money and resources into convincing the Russians that they live uh, or have lived in the best of all worlds and that, you know, the, the West is terrible. We are now a civilizational mm. project on our own and so on and so forth. Uh, and, and they had some themes like Euro Euro-Asian, Eurasian, sorry, Eurasianism that, that you know, were uh, sort of heavily, uh, <clears throat> uh, 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 were intensely exploited in the Russian media, but this is nowhere near, you know, anything really, uh, uh, you know, in the West. And, and obviously, you know, in this clash, you know, then you can see the public opinion is all right with pretty much any, even the craziest story that comes out of Ukraine, and particularly yeah. like outlets like the Kiev Independent or whatever it's called, which is just a, a fake news platform, like everything that, that's written there, or 90% of what's written there, gets debunked in 24, 48 hours, even in the mainstream corporate media of the West. So, like, obviously, you know, they, they are on a rampage. They can now say anything, you know, and, and uh, I feel that the Russians still don't understand. Uh, I mean, they, there is, they, they, there, there, Boyan, there is one uh, one plus side to the Russian lack of propaganda is that I I find that watching the after watching the uh, the hyperbole and exaggeration of Zelensky's speeches, which might have sounded good at the beginning, but they're wearing thin. Uh, when I watched the, the that military guy giving the Russian briefings. Um, mm. It actually is a, a refreshing change because he's actually just expressing quite sober assessments and uh, quite small. Yeah, you know, like he's, he gives you the more realistic, more yeah. realistic uh, statistics and things like that. You know, which I, which is I wish the uh, wish was on both sides. You know, but there you go. Well, yeah, that, that's the problem that we don't have the news, right? Like, where's the no. news from the war, right? Like, we, we rarely even have footage and stuff like that. Like, occasionally, yes. But otherwise, you know, the, the propaganda effort on the part of the West, and, you know, it's very successful. I, I, I admit that. And, and, you know, hats off to, you know, to the, to the, to the propaganda efforts of the West. But I want to say that, uh, you know, what does it consist of? Like, there is no footage that you can, you know, see and point out. Like, for example, the footage of the key of ghost, right? Like, just to, but it turned out to be a part of a video game intro or something like this. So, oh, oh, don't yeah. me go into yeah. that. I mean, yeah, I, I, no, I don't want, I don't want us to go into that. Commenting for hours on the war in yeah. Ukraine, but the images were, were from a video game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so perhaps, um, Boyan, perhaps um, 
I'd like to say something about Zelensky himself, if that's all right. Yeah, I, yeah? I just wanted to, yeah, please go ahead. I just wanted to say that, you know, sure. another part of that is that, for example, Zelensky would go and give a speech to the to the British Parliament, right? Which was right. with standing ovation mm. and everything. A, a ter horrible speech, in my opinion, by the way. And uh, Pat, I mean, you spend a lot of time in Great Britain. Um, uh, do you remember right. standing ovation for anyone in your, you know, well, lifetime? <clears throat> well, in fact, no, this is the first time that anybody has spoken from outside into the British Parliament in its history. And then that, you know, this is this kind of public relations cannot be set up by uh, a government in Ukraine um, no. sheltering in a bunker. This is this is being organized. I mean, I understand effectively it's been organized by many uh, led by PR companies in Washington. And it's an incredible what they've organized to such an extent. You know, you, you could be in a small uh, TV station in in Indonesia. And you're getting this footage and all the media material and everything, which is an incredible uh, operation. But I just wanted to focus a bit on this guy, um, President Zelensky, because obviously he's a central figure in all this. And I, and obviously he's he's a he's an he's an excellent um, performer. No question about that. You know, he's he's presenting a good image. He's he's a pretty good speaker, etc. But when you look behind this, he's the epitome of public relations because this guy. He, first a comedian and then a, a movie star in in in, um, in Ukraine, um, and 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 then there was a there was a three season long TV series called Servant of the People created about about a, a young guy being elected president of Ukraine and who plays the role but Zelensky, and then after he's because of the 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 exposure he gets from that on TV. He then creates a party, a political party called Servant of the People. And then he, he's had to create this party from scratch. Then he runs a successful presidential campaign. He gets elected with a big majority. And, of course, you have to ask the question is, where's the money coming for all of these things? And, of course, we know that he, despite all the image he presented, he himself is supported by and bankrolled by a, a right-wing oligarch. So, you know, the, the thing is that... <clears throat> and then, then come talking about the... The exaggeration and the hype and the grandstanding. The latest one is was uh, I think was yesterday where he he appealed to the Russian troops to re, to surrender because they're losing, um, yeah. and then but in contrast to that, most serious analysts are in the media even now are admitting that um, they they criticise Russia's military campaign so far, but they all generally accept that Russia will win this if it carries on because of their superior forces. Um, but I mean all these claims about Russians attacking nuclear power plants. Uh, Russia's de Russia deliberately targeting hospitals and residential buildings. Russians committing genocide. Russians um, blocking the corridors for the civilians. Yeah, the, With the, complete the nonsense. Like yeah, you know. the, the threat of chemical weapons, where the yeah. or chemical or biological weapons, where the only only threat of that so far we see is from is from the Americans funding all these uh, biological weapons uh, institutes. Um, yeah, but by the way, can I ask you? Can I ask you, Pat, just here? Uh, sure. Are you? Are you? Yeah. Aren't you afraid a little bit? Because you know, I'm. I'm afraid of the of the repetition of the Syrian scenario. Like you know, they're going to be winning, and like few sure. weeks before the the, the whole uh, conclusion, there's going to be chemical attack, chemical attack. You know, know. and and, well, and that, then yeah, you're 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 hitting on a, a very important point here. Is where a lot of people are going wrong. I mean, ordinary people and journalists is they're not doing the job. The basic job of the journalist is when they hear someone making a controversial statement, 
they have to think also, not just check the fact, but what's the motivation behind that statement? Now, I, I take it, this is my analysis, and I think I'm right, that the Ukrainians realize that they can't win this war um, against the Russian army, armed forces, and therefore, militarily, therefore, the only way that they can defeat them is if they can bring the West into the fight, NATO and so on, and bring them into, so it becomes a NATO military fight with the Russians. Now, we all know the consequences of that is it's a world war, it's a massive escalation with all the terrible disaster that could be, plus even the possibility of nuclear weapons. Um, but I don't think the Ukrainians, that's not their priority. Their priority is to save themselves. Mm. And they therefore, what they're doing is they're trying to hype up the most extreme stories to put pressure, to get the people in the West, to put pressure on the politicians um, and, and the elite to take that step which they're not wanting to do, which is to commit troops and planes and all the rest of it. And that, that's the motivation. That's the only motivation I can understand because... It's you know if you keep making these hyperbolic um, statements that are shown to be not true, eventually you lose credibility. You know, so I think that that if they are they are throwing all the dice into this game, it, knowing that if they don't get the West to intervene, that they can't win this war, and that's what I think is the motivation behind their side uh, of the propaganda war. Right. There are also some speculations about, uh, you know, this propaganda and this this hyperbolization and this this blowing everything up. Uh, I mean, blowing everything uh, to the like beyond any kind of proportion. It also has an effect not only on the public opinion, but it also ha is said to have an effect on the American administration. I wonder what your comments on that would be, because uh, you know there are some uh, analysts. Well, that's uh, it. Yeah, yeah. That's what, I'm, say, that's what I'm talking about. They're trying to right. get. They're trying to get the war party in America. They're trying right. to give ammunition for them exactly. to win the to win the battle of public opinion and force the politicians. That's why he's talking tomorrow to the Congress. You know, he's addressing right. the Congress. He already but, spoke I mean, to the Senate, by the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, one of the things you mentioned about his speech to the um, the House of Commons was he actually what he did was he again he, this is couldn't be done by Zelensky on his own. He hasn't got the time to do this stuff. Somebody has written a speech where. They've taken Churchill's speech and they've used the words and slightly changed them. So that's what he did. He, he gave Churchill's, you know, we'll fight them on the beaches in the hills speech, mm -hmm. slightly change a few words. But actually, if you look at the real Churchill, when, <clears throat> when the British um, Royal Air Force in, in 1942 had defeated the Luftwaffe and effectively forced Hitler to withdraw his plans for invading Britain, which was a huge victory, Look how Winston Churchill reacted to that. So contrasting to what Zelensky is doing. So Churchill said, this is the famous speech, you remember. Now this is not the end. It's not even the beginning of the end, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. So such a, a, a cautious and sober way to speak. And you compare that to the way Zelensky is speaking. It just doesn't, uh, you know, he's trying to be a Churchill, but doesn't cut it. Yeah, yeah, want to be. Okay, Maria, you wanted to weigh in. Well, I just want to say that in 1990, there is this famous, famous media, you know, scandal erupted uh, because Nairat al-Sabah was testifying before the United States Congressional Human Rights Caucus. And she said that she saw with her own eyes Iraqi soldiers throwing out babies from, from incubators, incubators yeah. in Kuwait yeah. 
Okay, so this is the kind of discourse that gets people emotionally hype, enraged, and uh, uh, that gets them to actually press their representatives to intervene. So let's keep that in mind because this is the role of this this of this type of discourse uh, to win the hearts and minds of uh, the Americans and to convince them and the British and the others to convince them to go to to war. This is basically yeah, and I guess to create pressure. I just yeah. want to say because it was soon found out two years after the event was found out that this girl was actually the daughter of the Kuwaitian ambassador to the United States. So it is important to to look a little bit. She was coach. She was, media. Wasn't a true story, yeah. Right, right, and and you know some people uh, uh, some people say that it's it's also that that now you know because of this pressure in in America there is this like the State Department wants to really go for it like you know engage with and that's why this MiG story from Poland I don't know if you remember this there was yeah. this this thing that the MiG 29s were going to depart from Poland and we're going to you know uh, support the Ukrainian Air Force if there still is any again difficult to <laughs> to actually assess judging on uh whatever is available <clears throat> uh, on the public record but uh you know they were going to support that and and no one seemed to be thinking really you know that's that's the strength of this propaganda no one seemed to be thinking except for literally people in Poland at least where i reside that you can count on two sets of hands that come on this is the this means disaster like you know the first thing after the, such a, a war plane is departed from any airfield here in Poland, the next thing you will hear is Russian missiles that are going to be taking out that base. And, you know, of course, that means escalation, that means war with NATO, or at least military engagement with NATO. And then, you know, with all the all the accompanying, so to say, consequences that you mentioned, Pat, by the way, like it could be even nuclear, it could even yeah. become nuclear, right? So, okay, and... Uh, the last five minutes of the program, I want to ask you to please comment on on how, if at all, uh, because uh, uh, there, there are certain doubts about that, has the mainstream media addressed the causes of the war? Uh, because, you know, I, that's going to be, by the way, an, a great segue to to uh, to the next segment where we're going to be talking about how the left media have reacted to the whole thing but you know this is this is pretty important because it's very easy of course for everyone to just go out and say well I'm against that war you know because the war, wars are terrible and so on and so forth by the way I hear those statements today from people here in Poland and in Bulgaria by the way too um, uh, who who is to support wars of aggression you know, they were just carried out by other countries, right? And and now they are against it. But in general, you know, everybody's against the war. We're also against the war, of course. But then, you know, it's 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 an easy thing to to just go go out there and and say you're against the war. The question is whether uh, you are able to sort of nuance it a little bit to the extent that you can at least explain the causes for that war or whether someone has actually done anything uh, to prevent that war from happening and so on and so forth. But please focus uh, on, on the question of, uh, of the causes of the war and how, how this was tackled, if at all, in your opinion, uh, in the mainstream media. Maria, you go first, well, please. Yeah. Okay, <clears throat> so uh, the mainstream media narrative is a narrative and a fairy tale where you have a crazy dictator impersonated by Vladimir Putin who is sucking out the blood of the innocent victim that is Ukraine. This is the media narrative and it's presented as a fairy tale and 
pretty much the public in general buys into that because in situations of crisis, people rely on the media more. The sociology studies show that, that basically when there is a war or a crisis of any kind, people tend to believe what the media are saying. And usually the media are selling very simplistic narratives due to the pressure of time, resources, all the things that we debated. And also because they are so easy to sell, they are so easy to shuffle down your throat, these very simplistic narratives that do not focus on uh, complex causes. And the second thing that I want to say here, I think right now the bravest thing to say is to say that you are against Putin and NATO, because it's very easy to say you're against Putin. I mean, who could defend him? But the brave thing is actually to say that you're against also the other military bloc. Yeah, and I think I, I think it's very important what you said that you know against you know the, the Putin's aggression or Russia's aggression and against NATO's expansion or whatever NATO's policies towards uh, towards Russia or in Eastern Europe. That's that, that's of course very important. But this is again like the, que the question of the causes of the war. No one's speaking about the, the, the causes of that war, or at least not much is being uh, said about that. So, Pat, I mean, is there really any place anymore in the mainstream media in their current format uh, for for nuanced uh, explanation? Well, I, I think I think the media um, are deliberately. Uh, I, um, I mean, there is the, what, what what Maria talked about the complications. It's a complicated story, but but even you can boil it down pretty easily. Um, uh, and and the media is deliberately not dealing with the causes of this war, and they are they are demonizing Putin. You know, Putin. Uh, Putin stayed in, inside. One of the uh, arguments I've heard repeated again and again by ser supposedly serious journalists saying, well, Putin stayed inside the Kremlin for far too long during the COVID and was isolated and, and, and he's suffering from, uh, you know, from the effects of that or he's, got, he's suffering from long COVID. Or, I mean, <clears throat> as, if, as, if what, as if what Putin is doing is not what would also be done by other potential Russian leaders. Right. And what they're missing the point, they're missing the point, which is that actually what Putin is doing is entirely rational from their point of view. Um, and it's interesting. And most Russians agree, by the way. Yeah, but, but it's interesting on the American side that all the most expert and uh, far-thinking far experts in America on, on, on the Soviet Union and on Russia disagree with this strategy of, of expanding NATO up to the borders of Russia. And, and the excuse was made that, oh, well, you know, it, uh, Ukraine wasn't in NATO and it wasn't likely to join NATO. So that this is all a, a false um, uh, argument. I'm sorry. These people must know that they're playing a trick on their audiences, because what was actually happening was they were making Ukraine into a de facto NATO country. They were bringing they were training. They were bringing NATO people in to train the troops. They were doing NATO exercises. They were arming them with NATO weapons. I mean, and, and that, so, you know, okay, they weren't able to join them formally into NATO, which is important. Yeah, but, but NATO was, flying any, process was there. Yeah. yeah, in every other aspect, they were turning it into a NATO country. And they know that. They're not stupid. <clears throat> now, the, all these people, like, if you look at these famous people like Kissinger, um, um, uh, Matlock, um, Kennan. Uh, some, Kennan, yeah. Um, Cohen, all these yeah. famous uh, theorists about who, who were the architects of what in the end became quite a successful campaign against the Soviet Union. 
they all disagree violently with what the the American uh, neoconservatives of neoconservatives and neoliberals who've got control of the foreign policy establishment in America are saying and doing. And and they and if you, I don't know if you saw Mishai Maid, another one. Yeah. I mean, he's what he's probably oh, the right now. Let me tell you yeah. that he's been labeled Putin enabler because it is. You know, of course, ridiculous. He's not a Putin fan. He's an arch imperialist, right wing yeah. guy who actually very reactionary. Want, he, very wants reactionary. Focus, he wants to focus America's war, uh, uh, future wars, and, and, and uh, tactics on China. And he, but he just totally slates. He just blames America and he goes through it. And he's America's probably foremost political international relations um, academic. And he just goes through from the beginning what happened after the fall of the Soviet Union and the terrible mistakes and decisions that they, the American establishment have made that led to this situation. And then he points out, he says, basically, the chances are that, that, that they, right, by these stupid mistakes, the West was lost Ukraine, Belarus and Russia all in one go. You know, yeah, I mean, and Kazakhstan you, and Georgia probably. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the, yeah, to that extent as well. You're probably right, and and probably yeah. even India, probably even India. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's an interesting. Yeah. That's an, that, that's by the way an interesting question. And and I I, I want to go. I want us to go now to a hard break. We went badly over time, but this was worth it because the discussion was very interesting. And I want to invite everyone to go. Uh, uh, to to uh, yeah, to please be patient. We're starting the second segment very soon. Uh, thank you very much, Pat. Thank you very much, Maria, for uh, being with us. And in the next segment, we're going to discuss, in particular, the reaction of the leftist media towards uh, that ongoing crisis, towards that ongoing war. Stay healthy, stay safe. All the best. See you soon. <laughs>